Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. Oh, this week's episode, has the Terminator been terminated? Is there a need for another Ant-Man? And what are we looking forward to this Black Friday? All this and more as we once again delve into... The Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanica Media, Game Source, The Lakers Fast Break, and also Inside Sports Fantasy Football, welcoming you to another great episode of our Pop Culture Cosmos. But it would be a pop culture cosmos without my good friend. He is our destroyer of Cheetos for Pop Culture Cosmos. You got to check out what he's doing today at popculturecosmos.wordpress.com, popculturecosmos.com, and also grab a copy of his book, Congratulations, You Suck. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson, the destroyer of Cheetos, eh? Yeah, you have no idea how much money I spend on laundry detergent. It's just all the time. It's just right across the shirt. You know, like in the old Pringles commercials, but it's just cheese everywhere. Also, have you ever noticed that, like, when you look at Chester the Cheetah, he is kind of like that creepy uncle of, of chip mascots. Have you ever noticed that? Well, let's just say Chester the Cheetah was just going to be my joke that I was going to, but you beat me to the punch. <laughs> my bad. We can rewind this if you want to do this again. We can. No, that's okay. That's okay. I'll just go ahead and go be like Chester the Cheetah and just hop on my motorbike and oh, head on out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it is going to be a great episode we have for you today. It's just going to be Josh and I, no guests on. We're going to be talking about a lot of great stuff that's going on in pop culture we're going to be talking about the Joker and R-rated films. There's still a ceiling where R-rated films need to break, and that's a billion dollars. We're going to talk about the possibility of an R-rated film breaking that ceiling coming up here in a bit. Plus also as well, is there a possibility for an Ant-Man 3? We're going to tell you the latest details and news on it, and we're going to ask ourselves, is there even a need at this point in time in the Marvel Cinematic Universe for and Ant-Man 3. Plus also Josh has some thoughts on a game that he's been playing called Children of Morta and some things that we're hoping to go on sale on Black Friday because our Black Friday coverage is starting here very soon right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. We're going to share some thoughts on what we hope will go on sale this Black Friday coming up later in the episode. And then on top of that, we're going to be talking about our 10 favorite films. For me, it's a reminder for Josh, he's coming up with his list here that's fresh out of the gate. So we're going to talk about our 10 favorite films because we're asking you what are your 10 favorite films all this month 
Please send us your thoughts in, and we're going to talk about more about that, and we're going to talk about the reason why we want your 10 favorite films coming up on the back end of the episode as well. Well, my friend, unfortunately, it looks like to me, on the surface, hasta la vista, baby, when it concerns the Terminator franchise, because Terminator Dark Fate came out this weekend worldwide to many, many different countries, including here in the United States. And unfortunately, it did not do quite so well. It came out this weekend here domestically at about $29 million. Not exactly the type of opening that they wanted. In fact, it's at least $10 million below expectations. And I had said before on our last episode, the PCC Multiverse, that I thought the movie cost right around $100, $125 million. I'm sorry. This was closer to $200 million. In fact... 185, 200 million, right in that range. That's the production cost, not even including any promotional costs or anything else as far as distribution or anything of that nature. So the estimates are now because of the week opening, not only here in the United States, but also the fact that it only garnered another 100 million worldwide. The fact it could be the studios are looking to maybe get as much as a 100 to 125 million dollar loss on this movie terminator dark fate i ask you my friend and i ask this fair and i ask you to take some time to think about this because of the fact that again it came out with such a soft opening and this was for a movie that wasn't a very poorly rated film it has 69 percent of rotten tomatoes it has an okay metacritic it's thought of for the most part well, okay, it's got a B-plus cinema score. People seem to like it that actually go see it. But it looks like there's not much love left for the Terminator franchise. Is it time to go ahead and say hasta la vista, baby, once and for all? You know, I, I don't I don't know, man. Like, I, I don't think it's time to really, like, say goodbye to it as much as maybe uh, do some kind of campaign to reinvigorate interest in the old Terminator films, if that makes sense. Like don't the, the what was wrong about uh, the release of dark fate, at least in my opinion, was that, you know, like usually back, like back in the day stores would have, you know, all the old films lined up and they come with a like seven fifty off a movie ticket or whatever, but they had huge campaigns to push the older films out. So people could watch them before the movies came out. Terminator dark fate had, zero marketing that I saw. You know, I saw maybe two or three trailers on TV, a bus sign, but I didn't really see a lot that would make me interested in it. You know, I I didn't even see a lot of reminders that it was out there until reviews started popping up. So, you know, if they're going to make another one, if they don't put this franchise to bed after this, you know, this incident, they need to have some kind of campaign go out there that makes people interested in the old films because a lot of people they don't care, right? Because the, the Terminator Salvation, Terminator Genesis was an awful. Nobody even knew it was in theaters. And then Terminator Salvation before that, like that was the last semi-decent Terminator movie. And that's because when I was in high school, when that came out, I still I was still connected to the franchise because I had grown up in the 90s, right? So, But they had such a big gap between Salvation, you know, and Genesis. But, also, which, but then also huh. you got to consider Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Yeah, that's true also, but Salvation seemed to be like the last kind of legitimate entry in the franchise before they they felt like with like Genesis, they didn't know what they wanted to do. Do they want to reboot it? Do they want to make a sequel? They had no idea. And I think that when filmmakers have little faith in their creations, it makes people 
not have faith in it themselves. You know, they don't really care to see. And I think this movie, there's such a big gap between this movie and the generation of people that grew up on Terminator that it kind of missed its mark. And while film reviewers are viewing it really well, it's the same thing with Blade Runner, right? Like it missed an entire generation of people that didn't see the first one. So I, I think that the issue here is not that it needs to be put to bed, but they need to do something to make themselves seem relevant again. Well, you're speaking of Blade Runner, my friend, and I want to ask you this. It is November 2019. And remember, I know. that's what we've been seeing in the news lately. So your thoughts on the fact that, you know, it November 2019 is the time period of the original Blade Runner. And fortunately, we do not live in the world of Blade Runner as it was because that wasn't exactly the most cheery place to live in. So I ask you, I mean, is it kind of interesting the fact that now people are comparing all these things about what happened in that time period? And, and you know, as far as November 2019 to, you know, with, with Blade Runner and all that? Well, parts of San Diego are kind of a dump, and I don't know if we're not replicas because, you know, we all kind of seem to get mad at people who think different things than us, so there might be some replicas out there. We don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of like the Back to the Future hoverboard thing, right? Everyone thought that there would be a hoverboards going around by now, but I think we're actually approaching that with a lot of the old sci-fi films, right? We're starting to approach the years that a lot of those took place, so it's interesting Like, I'm curious, you know, if there are more sci-fi films going forward, what is the year that, you know, we are going to be predicting our stories take place in? That would be interesting. At least maybe, what, 2077, 2082, 2103, something like that. That'd be really cool. Doesn't Halo takes place in 2020, like, 35 or something like that? I don't don't remember the exact dates of that. But, yeah, we're, like, coming up on Halo time, too. (laughs) We're not even close to... T- type of interstellar travel but you know what things are a little different when you were heading back to what we're talking about with the terminator because that was also a period where by now we would have been overrun by the machines and we would have been nothing but in a uh, you know a, a post-apocalyptic society and the world would have been destroyed and we tried to nuke it and unfortunately the you know we burned the sun and you know all that stuff and it's the world's all great it's, then you get into the matrix which just pretty much looks like the same thing so yeah it's uh it's kind of funny how these things turn out and all these visions that people had of the future and in many ways it hasn't turned out like that but it's just it's kind of interesting i should say it is like in modern parallel would you compare a company like skynet to maybe apple or like the nsa or something possibly or even facebook to an extent as well especially the way that they're uh, yeah. you know not exactly the most favored choice among you know many right now the way they go ahead and do go about their business but that's another story and podcast altogether when it concerns that company but anyways so it is Terminator Dark Fate. And I want to ask you this, man, because getting back to the Terminator discussion, and it's kind of funny because we're now at a point where the Terminator series, to me, looks dead. And it looks like something that you need to put at the back coffers, you need to put in the attic, you need to store it away, you need to lock the key, put it in some type of trunk, you know, so that somebody maybe opens it up maybe in about 20, 30 years from now, along with some other once vaunted franchises what i've talked about before in the past i've talked about predator i've talked about alien and i think both those have to go out to pasture for quite some time you know i think there are other ones as well in fact 
I know there was a Die Hard 6 that was being talked about, but Disney kind of nixed that. And I think that's probably another one that needs to go to pasture as well. So I want to well, ask with, you, my friend. Oh, sorry. With Die Hard, you could tell it needs to go to pasture when they're like, the next one should be a prequel. Yeah, no, and that's something that I think no one really wants to see at this point. I think that the fact that there should be no more McLeans running around trying to go ahead and be in, be in the middle of blown up buildings and all that, I think it's been done to death at this point in time. I know we've talked about in the past about Alien and that, but I know you're still hopeful on the Alien series that it could be done right at some point down the line. I think now that's that it's in Disney's hands, I don't think they have any desire to. I think along with Predator and the fact that they probably want to put both far away in the coffers, I just don't think there's any good captivating stories that's going to get a large enough audience to go ahead and even make its money back at this point in time with either Terminator, Alien, Predator, all these different movies that were so iconic in the late 80s, early 90s, that type of deal. I think I think the time is done. I think it's time to go ahead and create new Terminator new Alien, new Predator, new Die Hard franchises, because at this point in time, the nostalgia effect on all those franchises, are, I think, are up. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? For the latest news and information, analysis and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. So do you think that they need to put the franchise to bed or do you think they need to just reboot them? Or do you think that no, something need new to needs to, to come up? They okay. need to put them to bed. I mean, they tried to reboot them and it still hasn't worked. So You know, what would be smart on their part is to do, because I know that nobody likes to experiment with like new properties these days, but I feel like, you know, Terminator, Alien, Predator, like there's enough good ideas in there to, to take things that work with audiences and put them into something new that has a story that's more modern, I guess, and, and parallels more to the time that we're living in. That would maybe pull in a more modern audience, but keeping that that concept still the same. I mean, you don't even have the same magic with the Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter to an extent because the Fantastic Beasts, the last one failed. I still think with Harry Potter, I think if they did something, you know, the play that was made by J.K. Rowling, if they did that in the form of a movie with the original Harry Potter actors, I think you can get maybe one tour or maybe even a trilogy out of it that would generate that kind of money. But the Fantastic Beasts just shows that if it doesn't have the actual Harry Potter in there, that it really I just don't think it's going to garner or continue to garner that type of money with The Lord of the Rings, even though the movies after The Lord of the Rings still made a large chunk of money you saw the declining interest in the overall type of money that it could generate and type of interest that it was generating. It no longer became special for the Hobbit movies once they came out. They thought it was just prolonging the franchise. We'll have to wait and see when it comes to the Lord of the Rings series. I know you and I are still excited for that, so maybe that's another way they can generate that type of interest. And that's something with maybe all these series that we're talking about as a movie entity maybe most or if not all of them should be pushed towards a streaming service. Maybe that's a way you can revive all these either dead or on its way to a death type franchises. 
Well, yeah, I think that many new form like Terminator, Lord of the Rings, like if you were to breathe life into those, it would not be on the big screen because, th- you know, like I've mentioned so many times before, things outside of Disney or Marvel don't just, they just don't do well anymore. So I'm with Terminator's Fox, right? I believe so. I'd have to look that up. I know Disney was part of the distribution for outside the U.S., so I'd have to look that up for sure. And I can do that while you're talking because the fact is, and I want to hear your thoughts more on if any of these, you know, these franchises that have come upon hard times like Alien, Predator, Terminator, if any of them can be revived in a small screen format. I mean, we've seen that before with the Sarah Connor Chronicles which was very much appreciated by critics, but didn't really garner a large audience. Yeah, but it was also on network television. So if you look on like Netflix, we can do things that we hadn't done before. But like my point from before was that things do better on streaming services now because people don't go to see movies that often. If it's not like a Disney or Marvel Star Wars flick, people aren't going to see a lot of films anymore. And like that's evident in the fact that box office numbers have dropped but on the other side of that coin, like I feel like a streaming service is good because you have all these directors who make these great movies and so many clips get cut by the studio. So there's a, an opportunity for them to be able to tell their story in a longer format and go into more detail so that people are watching it and they, they don't fall behind on details because things are you have time to constantly be pounding it into the brains of the viewers. So, yeah, I think that streaming services are, are a very magical opportunity, not just for these franchises to be revitalized, but just for them to become relevant again and be able to, to hook people and maybe start from a place that's easier for people to jump onto, as opposed to like, you know, Terminator six or Die Hard seven or whatever it is. They can kind of start at a point where people can latch onto these characters without needing all of this crazy amount of backstory, all this years and years and years of backstory, you know, from all the time that this, these films have been around. Terminator is a paramount property at least here domestically, but it is internationally being distributed by Disney. And well, it's actually doing better internationally, but still not garnering those high numbers. In fact, China, it didn't even do that much. uh, And it it didn't even do that well in China, comparatively speaking. So the, you know, the, the series right now with Terminator, I think is something that needs to be put to rest. I don't think you're going to get even James Cameron's weight that he pulls around in Hollywood. I don't even think he can get a sequel to this movie, Greenlit. In fact, even for Alita Battle Angel, which earned over $400 million worldwide, that is even going to have a tough time getting Greenlit. And even, and that is a James Cameron produced property as well. So I have a question point, for you. Yeah. Do you think that the, I want to hear the rest of your thought, but do you think that the quote unquote failure of Terminator is going to affect avatar at all that's actually a very good question and i was actually thinking about that about 10 minutes ago thinking that is this going to play out somewhat when avatar 2 comes out i think there's going to be an interest to avatar 2 i do not think it's going to make two billion dollars i don't think it's going to beat avengers endgame i think that avatar as rob mccallum always says avatar did not gain a cultural footprint which people enjoyed year after year after year like the Star Wars or Marvel Universe or any of the other universes that have have had any kind of longevity. It was a great thing for one year, 
to a worldwide audience, and then that's pretty much it. I mean, by the time two, three years down the line, people were clearancing and discounting and, and just trying to get rid of any of the Avatar-related merchandise they could get their hands on. So I think w this could be a telling sign that Avatar may not get the humongous numbers that it once did for the original, uh, but an Avatar 2 is still, even if that's the case and it does less than half, it's still a billion-dollar movie. So it's still something that I think you should green light, even if it costs three to four hundred million dollars to make, which is probably what it's going to cost. It's probably going to cost around endgame money, but I think it's probably not going to do as well as they're thinking. These things that are sprinkled out there, I think you're right, is, is, is what you're saying in regards to the failure of Terminator Dark Fate. And not only does it mean the end of this franchise for at least a foreseeable future, in my opinion. But also it means, you know, for something that's James Cameron related, he no longer has that sprinkle of magic like he did with Titanic and with Avatar when just his name would just garner huge, huge returns. You know, before we, we shut down this topic, what do you think, though, about all the, the drama that's going on behind the scenes with Tim Miller and James Cameron? Because I heard Tim Miller, like he pretty much got kicked out of the director's chair for a majority of the film. So what do you think about all that? Well, I mean, that's probably what you're going to hear in the coming days and weeks. I mean, the film itself has garnered positive reviews for the most part. So the film itself is probably going to be something you're going to see in streaming or cable and say, hey, this wasn't such a bad flick. But it's going to be something that, you, hey, it wasn't such a bad flick. And then you're going to forget about it 10 minutes after. It's, yeah, not going to be, it's not going to be something that's going to stay with you. And I think that's the problem for the Terminator series at this point is because even if you came out with a good movie, it really doesn't matter because no one cares anymore about the Terminator franchise. Yeah. Okay. So I, I look at it this way. Like I think about, does this mean that James Cameron no longer has the ability to appeal to a modern audience? And also what's this going to mean for the future with Tim Miller? You know, it's just, there, there it seems like there's too many cooks in the kitchen with this. So I wonder if maybe if it had a singular vision, if it would have appealed more to make people want to go see the movie. Well, Tim Miller's always got a job. He made Deadpool, so he's always got a job. The thing is, though, if he had problems with James Cameron and he had problems with the you know everything was going on in regards to trying to go ahead and make Deadpool 2 that he was kicked out of or he left or whatever creative differences you want to say, Tim Miller still will find a job directing, but it's just going to be those situations where people are going to be wary in Hollywood of working with him because he leaves that trail behind him of being somewhat difficult, if that's the case, and that comes out to light. I'm not sure, 100%, but you can start connecting the dots here, man, because he should have been the director of Deadpool 2, and he wasn't. And he jumped right into the Terminator franchise, directed a halfway decent film, but that still didn't help. Because again, like I said, I think the Terminator franchise is done. I don't know how you feel, my friend, but I think you're leaning in that same way yourself. Yeah, you know, like I said, I'll watch this, you know, when it hits on demand or Redbox or whatever, but it's not something I'm going to rush to the theaters to see. So it perhaps like after watching it, you know, having it sit for a few months, like I will have a different opinion of it. But right now I don't see, especially with this bad reception, like there's nothing really that's going to motivate any company to want to make something of a sequel to it. You're right, my friend. I think this is the time that Paramount says, hasta la vista. 
And that's no more time to say I'll be back for the Terminator franchise. What are your thoughts out there on the Terminator franchise? Are you still interested in seeing any more Terminator films, even though there's been a very bad result so far this weekend when it comes to Terminator Dark Fate and its results at the box office? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. If you see something foreseeable in the future for the franchise, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, before we head to the break, my friend, I want to ask you this. Hold on. Do you hear this? Do you hear that? Do you hear that? That's me patting myself on the back, my friend. You know why? I have a feeling you're about to tell me. You are darn tootin' right, my friend, because very early on, this man here said the Joker, it wasn't really much of a stretch, my friend, but the Joker would become the biggest R-rated movie of all time. And it did, my friend, because it is now well over $900 million dollars. It may, it's not a certainty, but it may earn over a billion dollars worldwide, which is an amazing fact because before last week, Deadpool 2 was the highest grossing R-rated film worldwide at a little over $780 million. So I ask you, my friend, let's just, just to speculate and say maybe that the Joker will not make a billion dollars. It might, it might not, but let's say it just doesn't make the, the $1 billion. Do you see a day when an R-rated film earns and generates $1 billion at, worldwide at the box office? I, I see that we're definitely getting close to it. Like when that will happen, I don't know. But is it possible? Sure. You know, anything's possible. If it's an R-rated – because we got to look at why films are rated R. Like you have a lot of R-rated films that are just grotesque or raunchy for the sake of being grotesque or raunchy. But if you have a, a film that – is R-rated, but it, it it's well-written, it has a purpose for being R-rated, it's not R-rated just for the sake of being that, then yeah, I definitely think that it has the potential to reach a billion dollars. Joker, it, what, how much did you say Joker made? Joker right now is sitting at $934 million. It is at $299 million domestically. It's still not the biggest R-rated movie all time here in the U.S., but because international sales have been so good, it's going to gross over $300 million here in the U.S. But even if it doesn't become the biggest R-rated movie here in the U.S., it still has done so much worldwide that it has not only beaten Deadpool 2 to become the biggest R-rated movie of all time, it has trounced it by leaps and bounds. And right now it's sitting at 934 mil. Yeah, so I mean, it's pretty close. If you have something that say it hits home harder than Joker does. And yeah, I don't think that it'll have any issue crossing that $1 billion mark. I always thought there would be a hard ceiling because I thought the $780 million Deadpool 2 had generated. I thought that was just a R-rated film, probably the max. You maybe could have squeezed $800 million. This has far exceeded what I thought it would do. I mean, once I said that this would become the highest grossing R-rated film of all time, I didn't think it would even come close to a billion dollars. I thought maybe 800, 825, just a little bit over Deadpool 2. This has blown it away by leaps and bounds, and it looks like it's a possibility that it could be a billion dollar maker. But even if it doesn't, it shows the possibilities that there are out there for an R rated film. 
Could we see them all trying to go ahead and become an R-rated film because they think that pushing the envelope in that fashion now gets people in the theaters watching their movie? Studios going, we need to make this movie R if it was written to be a PG-13 movie because you can tell when there are things thrown in there just for the sake of it being in there. And that's something I don't really want to see. And I, I don't think that the film industry can survive something like that. So I, I, yes, I definitely think it's possible, but they would have to start it out saying, okay, we want this to be an R rated film. It needs to be birthed as an R rated film and not be something that's adapted and then turned into an R rated film. Like, cause nobody wants to see, gore or nudity or any of that stuff just for the sake of seeing it like it needs all that stuff needs to serve a purpose you know and like you see a lot of that on hbo shows and that's because it's hbo but it needs to have a purpose you know if that makes sense like deadpool what makes deadpool deadpool is that all the violence and swearing and all that stuff it's over the top and it's aware of itself you know joker tackled a very serious issue and todd phillips set out to make people uncomfortable and think about things and he succeeded in doing that so Whatever reason that it is an R-rated film, it needs to be a good one. I hope so, because I don't mind seeing an R-rated film. I just want it to be clear why it needs to be an R-rated film. If you're just pushing for that rating or if you're just throwing stuff in there, like you said, if they're doing gore for the sake of gore, you know, anything else or language just to make it an R-rated film, because that not only denigrates the film itself, but also the audience that you hope to try and attract because of it. Do you think an R-rated film will reach the billion-dollar mark if the Joker doesn't? We'd love to hear your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos, Yahoo.com, also as well, PopCultureCosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, coming up next, Josh and I are going to be talking about Ant-Man. Looks like there's an Ant-Man 3 coming up in our near future at some point down the line. Is this something we need for the Marvel Cinematic Universe? And what are we looking forward to this Black Friday? We're going to talk about all that and more coming up right after the break. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Get ready for Kitty Origins Evolutions, the latest documentary from Rob McCallum. Thrusted into heavy metal stardom as teenagers with their debut release, Kitty has thrashed and conquered the heavy metal world for the past 20 years. Kitty has defied industry norms, fought back against women and rock stereotypes, and inspired generations since they appeared. And now, for the first time, they've decided to share their untold story. Generously peppered with archival footage shot by the band, this film gives you an honest and brutal look at what it takes to survive in the music industry. Order the DVD, Blu-ray, and live CD triple pack that features recordings from throughout their 20-year illustrious history from RobMcCallumFilms.com. RobMcCallumFilms.com, your place for awesome stories about awesome people and films worth watching. And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Gerald Glass. We're coming right back at you here along with my good friend, the destroyer of Cheetos himself, Josh Peterson. Peyton Reed, the director of the first two Ant-Mans, is coming back for a third. So something that I know Paul Rudd has talked about vaguely, about he wasn't sure if he was going to be coming back as a, you know in a movie. I know there was Evangeline Lilly had said, I'm not sure what the status was. Well, it looks like things are in a better direction as far as Ant-Man, although that's not a certainty. You and I both have seen Disney and Marvel gone ahead and scratched things off the list before in the past, but... At this point in time, Ant-Man 3 could be on the way. 
So I ask you, my friend, and I've got some reasons why yes and no on this question, but is there a need for another Ant-Man movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's still a lot of... It's not definitive, that's all I'll say. I I haven't really... You know, I looked at that article yesterday, or the several articles that popped up, and I thought to myself, you know, I feel like an Ant-Man 3 would have been really cool before Endgame, right? Because that kind of closed the chapter on a lot of those. And I don't think that Ant-Man 3 was planned when Endgame went through. I thought that they're probably trying to end it with Ant-Man 2. And then I also remember reading something about how they want to do a spinoff of just Wasp. So maybe that's what they're trying to do with this one. But, you know, I feel like anytime a big director approaches Disney about either, look at the case in point, Taika Waititi, right? Anytime a big director approaches Disney about possibly rounding things off or finishing their work with a certain character that Disney's not going to tell them no. You know, it's going to be if it's a solid idea and Disney believes in it, then they'll they'll back it. They'll add it onto the schedule. Thor Love and Thunder wasn't originally part of the next phase and then it got added onto the slate. So I'm pretty sure that Peyton Reed has a good idea for this film. I'm just curious what it is. Like what kind of story is going to be relevant to the MCU in a post endgame world? You know, we've already been to the quantum realm already. And the fact is that the Ant-Man movies, we've talked about, you and I both have a good affinity for the Ant-Man films. They're both right there in the middle of the pack, the movies that we like on our list. I think for me, it was around the middle of the pack. I think it was for you too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, I liked it. It wasn't my favorite, but it definitely wasn't anywhere near the bottom. Yeah, same here, same here. It wasn't anywhere near the bottom for me. And I think that's pretty much what it was for a lot of other people. But the thing is, they didn't generate, when you consider all the movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, both of those films are on the lower end of the food chain when it comes to the money that they bring in. So this is not something that you could go ahead and say, all right, we need an Ant-Man 3 because it's going to make a ton of cash. It doesn't really have that kind of super box office returned history behind it. So it's very interesting to me to see why an Ant-Man 3 is still underway. I mean, because, again, we've already been through the Quantum Realm twice. This is something that could be answered probably more in detail with the, with the Doctor Strange movie and the multiverse and all that. So how much could it signify at this point in time? Because the first two Ant-Man films were so integral as far as playing a key role in the overall Marvel Cinematic Universe. Where could it go from here? That's an interesting question. Hold on. I'm trying to think. Like, there was a... It is a hard question. Yeah, because the quantum realm is still... It's still relevant. You know, there's still a lot of questions that have gone unanswered about the quantum realm. Like, you know, what would have happened if they went somehow went forward instead of backward? What other dimensions are out there? Do, are we going to be able to play with it? Because they're already talking about playing around with the idea of a multiverse, right? So maybe... They're going to be able to dive into some of these other scenarios where one thing happened or one thing didn't happen. But there's a lot of places they could go. My my concern is that I don't know where they're going to be able to go without incorporating the other Marvel heroes. Because a lot of the big Ant-Man stories have happened in conjunction with other story arcs. So I'm not really sure, you know, as far as villains go. I know he has a lot of villains, but I don't remember a lot of stories that he has that don't have another hero in them in some form. And the first two movies have been rather small in scale, haven't they? I mean, the first one especially is just kind of like a heist film. So, you know, that being said, 
they've been kind of, they've existed in their same thing. Like Ant-Man and Wasp existed in their own world, except for that post credit scene, right? Where, you know, they get the snap happens. So yeah, I, I don't know, man. Like I, I hope that it kind of interweaves with the, the multiverse idea, but cause it'd be kind of cool to have all that stuff rounded out. Like I love the idea of maybe having all the old superhero Marvel films over the years that have kind of failed a little bit or franchise they've left behind. And use that to weave it together. Because I know there's been whisperings about like a Spider-Verse movie. And it would be cool to kind of see like the threads of that being woven together through Ant-Man and the Quantum Realm and stuff like that. But you know, you're that, not ta- you're, let's clear this up. You're not talking into the Spider-Verse. No, not into the Spider-Verse. But because, they, because they have announced a sequel that's coming in April. I think it's 2022, Nick, if I'm not mistaken. 2022. Yeah. No, I'm talking about like. There, there's been mumblings on the internet. I've been reading a lot of articles where people are saying there's talks of maybe getting uh, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield to kind of reprise their roles and having all these universes come together in some form. So I'd love to see, you know, Ant-Man be used for that purpose. But other than that, like, I don't, the story, I have no idea where the story would go. You know, I just like, I would, I wouldn't mind seeing another Ant-Man film, but I don't really have any like thoughts on where it would go or what kind of villain it would be, how it would tie into everything. I don't even know what everything is right now because we, the only post-Avengers endgame film we've seen so far is Spider-Man, so we kind of don't really know a lot at this moment. I think you hit it right on the head, my friend. I think you said, I wouldn't mind seeing an Ant-Man film, another one in the series. I just don't know why it exists. I just don't know why it comes out. I don't know what purpose it's going to serve. That, I think, is the problem because you just... You, you can't go back into the quantum realm again and have fans going, ooh, it's interesting. It's, it's you know, what we want to see, unless there's a purpose to it. And I don't know what purpose is going to be served by going back and dealing with that. Or is something else going to be created, like you were talking about with Michael Douglas's character, Hank Pym, you know, maybe Evangeline Lilly, maybe Michelle Pfeiffer's characters, Janet Van Dien, maybe something between those lines of them coming up with something else outside of the realm of the quantum realm, maybe in store for audiences in an Ant-Man 3 film. But I don't know, my friend. I'm just kind of puzzled because, again, this is something I know you and I have spoken before. I think the Ant-Man films or the Ant-Man character is kind of like a pet project for Marvel, something that no matter how well or no matter how not so well it has done, it's been always those films for, like, they really like Ant-Man even though the basic general audiences for the most part, like it's Ant-Man. It's not a big deal for us. So I've always said, I think the Ant-Man films are more for Marvel than they are for the audience. And I think because an Ant-Man three is coming out, I think that's proving more and more to be the case. Am I wrong? No, there's definitely an affinity for the character amongst Marvel. I just don't, uh, you know, with, with audiences not being as receptive to Ant-Man, I'm just curious I feel like they wouldn't keep pushing Ant-Man unless there was a reason for it in their grander plans. And I don't know if Marvel went to Peyton Reed or Peyton Reed went to Marvel, but I just, I want to know more about the story before I make any like predictions about what it's going to be. Maybe they threatened to put Kevin Feige into the quantum realm unless they greenlit in Ant-Man three. What do you think? Isn't he already kind of in the quantum realm? Like he's working in so many different universes. He might feel on Sunday morning like he was in the quantum realm after that kind of hangover between the Marvel Universe, the Marvel TV Universe, and Star Wars now he's dabbling in. So, my gosh, as the busiest man on the face of God's green earth, 
he might actually be in his own quantum realm. But, you know, Ant-Man 3, it has been green. Well, I don't say it has been greenlit, but director Peyton Reed has been signed on to go ahead and see what he can come up with with an Ant-Man. Will it be a certainty? Until I see a Comic-Con or a D23 where it is announced as part of the lineup for Phase 5, which I think an Ant-Man 3 would fit in, uh, I'll have to wait and see until that actually comes onto the screen. Just because Peyton Reed has, has been signed on to go ahead and be part of Ant-Man 3 doesn't officially mean that there's an Ant-Man 3, in my opinion, because of the fact that there's the money and, and everything involved. If you're an Ant-Man fan out there, I would still be kind of nervous till you see it right there on the screen at a Comic-Con or D23 that it will still come to fruition. I also think that Marvel has an obsession with rounding out their characters in threes. So I'm there's a lot of trilogies with the, you know, the mainline heroes. So I wonder if maybe that has something to do with it as well. It could be, but then again, Thor's on number 4. So there you go. Yeah, four was I feel was very unplanned. It just if Taika Waititi hadn't expressed interest, I don't think the Thor four would have happened. That's probably true in the development of Thor's character over the course of Thor Ragnarok and where it goes from here, and obviously what he did in Endgame as well. So we'll have to wait and see what plans Marvel truly has for Ant Man, and hopefully there will be an Ant Man three that comes to fruition because we like the films, we just don't know what kind of purpose the Ant Man films served at this point for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. What are your thoughts out there on a possible Ant-Man 3? Are you excited for it? Are you not excited for it? Do you even care? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Before we head to our final break, my friend, I want to ask you, you've been playing Children of Morta on the Xbox One. I want to hear your thoughts on your time spent with Children of Morta. Okay, so Children of Morta is a roguelite. So for those of you that don't know what a roguelite is, it's kind of a top-down style game. So I like this game a lot. I like the the music, the background. It feels like an RPG of yesteryear. You know, it has, well, it's not like the same mechanics as like Octopath Traveler. They kind of took the same route. You know, they, they tell the story from a few different perspectives and it's it has a story that you actually care about and it like it weaves a, a narrative for a lot of these characters that you play as it actually, it feels organic. It feels natural. Like you start out as a warrior with a sword and a shield and you get into the environment, everything kind of moves a little bit. There's a lot of, of music. The, um, you know, the, the sword play is, is cool. It's fun, but I do have an issue with some of the mechanics, like the dodge mechanic. You can only dodge one way. Like you don't roll just kind of skirt backwards and it doesn't really do a lot so i have a, a bone to pick with that but other than that like the the combat feels really smooth i i love that if you're paying attention you can find little alternate paths off the main path so it kind of leads you where it wants you to go and then you get to this these areas where there's like gates now if you ever play yonder cloud catcher chronicles but there's like areas where mist blocks you from going places. And this one, it's like a, a, a purple slime and you get stuck. You fight off enemies and you get to this, these slime barriers and you get to go through them to move to the next part of the part of the map. So I was really enjoying this game. I gotten about 45 minutes into it. And from what I understand, it's like a two and a half hour game. So I got about 45 minutes in and then the game glitched. So you're supposed to take out this enemy. He drops something that lets you open one of these gates 
and I took out the enemy and he didn't drop what I needed. So now I have to start the game all over again to try to get back to that point and hope that at this time, this time it, it drops what it needs to. So I know I was playing, I'm playing an early build of the game, but uh, I, from what I understand, other people who have the same build haven't been having that issue. So that would be my, my main complaint. Other than that, like I do enjoy the game. I love the story, love the music. It's just, it feels like an RPG of yesteryear. If you're a fan of rogue lights, like I would definitely recommend picking it up. Like it, it does feel very well-rounded in character development and gameplay besides like the few bugs and the, the big glitch that I encountered. It is a game that I think is worthy of your time. I'm not sure how much it costs to re- retail, but uh, I have enjoyed my time so far with it. I would like to talk about it more on another episode once I get, you know, through the entire narrative. But so far, I'm digging it, except that I have to start it over again. Well, the retail value is twenty nine ninety nine, just to let everyone know out there. So it's something that it is a budgeted title, so to speak. It's not a full $60 retail game. So it looks like something that is keeping your attention. I hope to hear your thoughts more in detail, hopefully in an upcoming episode, or even better yet, you've got a review that you got to write on it. So when do you think you could go ahead and put it on paper to send it up there at popculturecosmos.wordpress.com? I want to get it up this week sometime. So be on the lookout for that. I definitely want to have it done by next weekend, though. Fair enough. You can look for that at popculturecosmos.wordpress.com where you can already check out our great review that Jamie Monroy put up there in regards to Frostpunk on consoles. He put a review up there just this past weekend. Then also as well, you're going to be seeing in the near future a review for the Helm Audio True Wireless 5.0 Wireless Earbuds, which I mentioned on our previous episode, the PCC Multiverse. So if you want to get a sneak peek of what I wrote about there, check our most recent Multiverse episode out there, or you can check it out this week on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about what we're hoping to go on sale this Black Friday and our 10 favorite films. And we'll have a reason why we're talking about our favorite movies coming up right after the break. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis. And we're back to close out the show. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you need a listing of where we're at because we're being played all around the world seven days a week on radio stations worldwide, you can check out our listings today at Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook where you'll see a listing of many of our over 30 different podcast options as well. My friend, why do people need to get a copy of your awesome book, Congratulations, You Suck? Because I would really appreciate it. It's doing pretty well, getting reviewed pretty well, so definitely check it out if you're interested. The book tackles a lot of stuff about mental health, and the feedback has been a lot more positive than I thought it would be, so... It just helped me if you could pick up a copy, share it, review it. Even if you don't like it, please post a review anyways. I am incredibly grateful to anyone who's already done that. And yeah, I'll keep you guys posted on all my future adventures. That's again, Congratulations You Suck, which is now available on BarnesandNoble.com, Amazon.com, The Nook, The Kindle, 
And you can just go pick up a copy when you go down and ask for it by name at Barnes & Noble. Congratulations, you suck. My friend, it's been a great episode. We've got a couple more things to talk about. First off, you know what? Let's go with the movies. I wanted to go ahead and take this opportunity now that we're done with our top 200 video games of all time list that you can check out now on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. I thought of adding a new list to the fray, and I want to go ahead and hear from our listeners and our followers out there on their top 10 favorite films of all time. This month, we're going to be taking in all your lists for the top 10 favorite films of all time in your choice. So we're going to, because we're going to make a big old list one more time. But first, you need to send us a list of all your favorite films, the top 10 favorite films of your choice. You want to go ahead and send us that top 10 list at Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanity Comedia, Game Source, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Send it any way you can, your top 10 films in order, so we can go ahead and make a good list from there. My friend, I want to give everybody a taste of what our thoughts are on our favorite films. So go ahead, my friend, with your list of your top 10 films of all time. All right. So this was a really difficult question. Like these are kind of in order, but the order could change, you know, depending on how I'm feeling. Like the, this is my order right now of my top 10 favorite films. Well, that's the list that's going to have to be because the fact that it would be scaled on a one to 10 basis. Yeah, no, I know that. So as of this moment in time, this is my one to 10 basis of my favorite films. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah, someone asked me today, like, what my favorite genre of film is, and I kept thinking to myself, I'm like, I don't have a favorite genre, I just like movies, you know, if the movie appeals to the things I like, it could be a comedy, it could be a documentary, a horror film, if it has all the elements that I like, then I dig it, I don't like go looking for any specific genre, but, alright, without further ado, number 10 on my list, I got Snatch, that is one of my all-time favorite films, it got me into all the Guy Ritchie films. You know, I actually went back and watched Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels after 10. And it's still today, like, I am I'm inspired by Guy Ritchie, especially, like, when in my books, you know, if you look at anything I write or even see any, like, the, the ghost toaster stuff that I've done on YouTube, everything has really fast cuts, and the dialogue is really quippy. And that's something that I learned watching Guy Ritchie films just over and over and over again over the years is... Uh, I just I love what the guy has done with dialogue and just his ability to get it to flow so well and still be very quirky. Number nine, I got Princess Mononoke. This was always like one of my favorite animated films. I, I remember the first time I saw it and like hearing the voice, I'm like, oh, there's there's a uh, you know Billy Bob Thornton's in this and yada yada. I just remember sitting back and watching this like it. How is it that this cartoon showed more depth for these actors and actresses than? any live action film that they've ever been in. So I remember sitting there watching that being blown away because it has the story and the soundtrack and the animation is so beautiful and crisp. And I fell in love with the, the characters. And like, even to this day, I can watch this movie over and over again. You know, granted it's kind of a little more gory than some of the other films the director has done, but it's, it's got heart to it. It's got a lot of heart to it. And in a time when people, aren't watching, you know, there's not a lot of decent animes out there anymore. Princess Mononoke is a classic that kind of has still holds up even, you know, as many years later as it's been made. Okay. So number eight, I got Jurassic Park. Signs is one that I didn't think would make my list, but I find myself wanting to go back to this movie a lot. 
Number six, I got Garden State. I just, I love the way this film was written. I love the quirkiness of it. I, I'm not a huge fan of like Zach Braff and Natalie Portman, but I really did enjoy this. I love the soundtrack, love the shins. It has a lot of heart and a lot of character. The Great Outdoors is at number five. Uh, John Candy and Dan Aykroyd. Love this film. I love uh, it just for some reason, uh, out of all the movies that came out of the 80s, like this is the one that I can keep going back to over and over again, just because it's, it reminds me of a moment in time, reminds me of family vacations. It just, it's one of those films. Do you ever watch those films that just make you feel warm inside? That's what The Great Outdoors does for me. Number four, I got Aliens. Uh, there's no really need to beat that horse anymore. Like Aliens is just a fantastic movie. Number three, I got Clerks. You know, Kevin Smith excellent with dialogue he took a a this idea of a movie only having one location and he was able to expand it into an hour and a half film so i love that love the black and white just i i i love that he was able to make a film based on the things that he loves and people loved it you don't see that anymore you know a lot of even in indie films like a lot of people are scared to do stuff like that so kevin smith pioneer back then still pioneer today number two is spring it's a horror film that you can watch on Amazon Prime. I know I love the concept of, you know, people getting to decide their own destiny. I don't even know how to explain this film. You need to go watch it. It's kind of half horror, half drama. It's got a little bit of, actually not really a comedy at all, but like the shots are beautiful. Cinematography is beautiful. The story is very well written. It's just, it's a very artsy film, but it's just, it came together very well in my opinion. And then number one, I got Kingdom of Heaven. The trailers were awful for this movie, but I, I can sit down and watch the actual film over and over and over again just because it hits every checkbox for me when it comes to what I look for in movies. It's well written. It's got a good soundtrack. The characters all have depth. It's got a lot of theological stuff that really makes you think. It's got everything in this film. It is the entire package. And it's long enough for you to be able to turn it off, go do something, come back and watch it again. And it's just, it is the quintessential film in my opinion. But Gerald, I ask you, what are your top 10 favorite films? Well, not only can you see my top 10 films, but you can see my list of the top 25 films that are my favorite available today at popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. But for this show, I'll just say my top 10. So if you want to see the rest of the list, check it out there. Let's start with number 10, Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> Speaking of Blade Runner, November 2019. It all ties in in one way or another. Number nine, Minority Report. It is my favorite Steven Spielberg movie. Number eight, The 40-Year-Old Virgin. This is the movie that I've laughed the most at in the theater. thought it was just so hilarious. And the long list of future stars in this film. I mean, my gosh, you got Steve Carell, who was just starting to hit his stride. And this was his vehicle that, along with what he was doing on The Office, that catapulted him into superstardom. You have Paul Rudd, Catherine Keener, Seth Rogen, Elizabeth Banks, Jane Lynch, Jonah Hill, Mindy Kaling, Kat Dennings, Kevin Hart. All of these names went on to some level of, of stardom that I think just you know has to be seen to be appreciated. Romany e. Malco, he's had a long career after this movie. I mean, all these stars just really, you could see the, the kind of talent that they were exuding. This helped a lot of those actors, a lot of those comedians go to a different level after this movie. And 
I think the 40 year old version works as a great movie, I think for a long time to come. And I think it's just something a lot of people will keep on watching again and again. Number seven, the rebooted Star Trek. Number six, Captain America Winter Soldier. It is my pick for the top movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I don't even think it's close. Number five is Lord of the Rings Two Towers, which I think is the best Lord of the Rings movie. North by Northwest, this is Hitchcock's best movie, and I think it kickstarted the big-budget action thrillers that we see today. Number three is Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. There's going to be a theme going on because the sequels... I mean, when you have a really great sequel, as Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan was, especially after the original Star Trek movie was such a uh, was such a slog, this movie was a, was a breath of fresh air. I enjoyed it throughout. Number two, another sequel. It's Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back. I mean, it is considered the best Star Wars movie ever. I think Star Wars is a great film in its own right. But I think Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back is even better because it does everything I talked about that a sequel should do. And I think it sets the standard for many years to come on how you go ahead and build that second movie in a trilogy. And this definitely works as a great movie in and of itself. And number one for me, speaking of November 2019 one last time, it is Blade Runner. It's just, to me, it's a, it's just... As I said on my article, it's a masterpiece. What a coincidence that both of us have Ridley Scott films. I think this is his best film. I know you'll disagree with me on that, but we still both have a great love for everything going on within the realm of Blade Runner. I love that you covered both Blade Runner films because they are masterpieces. I mean, they're each kind of their own thing, but they are two very excellent films. You know, the, the real, the biggest shame to me ever is that we won't probably won't ever get to see another Blade Runner film. But your list is pretty solid. And where can we find it again if we want to read it? It's available now at popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. But we are also, along with you hopefully reading that, are looking for your votes all this month on the top 10 films in your list all time. Because we're going to make a big collection again like we did with the video games. So we need your list sent to us, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com or popculturecosmos, humanity media and game source, any of our social media Send it to us, if you can, all this month on your top 10 favorite movies of all time. All right, my friend, it's been a great episode. We've had a lot to talk about. I cannot thank you enough for staying up with me and talking about a lot of great pop culture. We got some great stuff coming for everyone out there on our Friday episode of the PCC Multiverse. I think also as well, Josh, I think I'm going to have to create a special episode either on the Pop Culture Cosmos or the Multiverse, just on the streaming options, because with Disney Plus coming out on the horizon, I think we need to go ahead and sit down, get some other people's opinions on it as well, on the streaming genre and all that. I think we're going to have to talk about that in an upcoming episode. Plus our Black Friday stuff is coming as well, so it's going to be a loaded month right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Speaking of Black Friday, before we head on out, what are you looking forward to this Black Friday? Video games and movies. I'm kind of collector of both, but like, there's a few games have been out that I I've wanted to pick up. Control is one of them. The Spider-Man game on PS4. Some of the Forza games. Like, there's a lot of games out there that have come out that I haven't had time to play that I would like to be able to pick up. I'd like to see some more Switch games going on sale. But mostly, I would love to see the Marvel Blu-rays go on sale because anytime they go on sale, 
without Target or anything. They're only discounted by like $2. So I'd love to see them maybe go down to like 10 bucks, and then I could pick up, you know, four or five of them. I would love to see Best Buy drop that 4K set for $500. I'd love to see them drop the price on that bad boy, but I don't think they're doing that anytime soon on the entire Infinity Saga. So as much as I would like to dream about that, I'd say as well, video games for me, because a lot of those games from September, like Borderlands 3 and Gears of War 5, those should be on sale at some nice prices. So that will definitely entice me and possibly going ahead and, and getting them. Plus, you know, there's going to be a lot of electronics that are out there. Maybe arcade one-ups will actually be on sale. Got one, maybe I'll pick up another. Maybe even at games, the Legends Ultimate Arcade. I know you've talked about that. Hopefully they'll put that on sale. But there's a lot of other great stuff that's going to be on sale this coming Black Friday period. We're going to cover it for you once again this year right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the Pop Culture Cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO network. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.